Welcome to the CISSP Cyber Training Podcast, where we provide you the training and tools you need to pass the CISSP exam the first time. Hi, my name is Sean Gerber, and I'm your host for this action-packed, informative podcast. Join me each week as I provide the information you need to pass the CISSP exam and grow your cybersecurity knowledge. All right, let's get started. Hey, I'm Sean Gerber with CISSP Cyber Training, and today is CISSP Exam Thursday. So we are going to be talking about CISSP questions as it relates to taking the exam, and what are some key questions you need to be aware of as you're studying for the exam. So let's get into, this is going to be tied to SAML and Identity and Access Management. And so these are some of the questions that you may end up seeing, something similar to these at least. These won't be the exact questions you'll see, but there'll be some that will be similar. So let's start off with question number one. What is the primary purpose of SAML? Okay, so as we're talking about SAML that deals with identity and authentication, question, question, I should say, answer A is one to provide access an access token b is the exchange of user authentication and authorization data c is to provide an id token or d to validate a user's identity through biometric data okay so the question is again what is the primary purpose of saml and then a to provide access token b to exchange user authentication and authorization data c to provide an id token or D, to validate the identity through biometric data. So as we deal with SAML, SAML is basically designed as a, it's a standard, right? And it's a standard for exchanging authentication and authorization data between an identity provider and the service provider. SAML is used out there. Uh, There's OpenID. There's various other ones that are available, but SAML is an open standard. And so you want to look at a SAML It does provide tokens, but the main purpose of it is to exchange user data in the form of what they call assertions. So when you're talking about these questions, the primary purpose of SAML is to exchange user authentication and authorization data. So you don't want to bite off on A, which would be to provide an access token, which it does, but its primary purpose is to exchange user authentication and authorization data. Question two. OAuth 2 is primarily used for which of the following? A, user authentication. B, user authorization. C, data encryption. Or D, data integrity checks. So the easy ones that you would actually throw out, obviously, would be data encryption. It's not tied to that. Or a data integrity check is usually what would not be tied to OAuth 2. Again, it's a protocol that apply is basically application access for the user data and when you're connecting with another application. Now, the key question around that is if you're dealing with authorization, then the answer would be B, right? So it's designed to be providing, it does provide some level of authentication, but when you're using in conjunction with OpenID, but the primary purpose of OAuth 2 is authorization. So we put that in mind. OAuth 2 will do user authentication, but that's not its primary purpose. Its primary purpose is authorization. Question three, which of the following authentication protocols also provides an ID token? A, SAML, B, OAuth 2, C, OpenID Connect, or D, Kerberos? 
Okay, again, which of the following authentication protocols also provides an ID token? A, SAML, B, OAuth2, C, OpenID Connect, or D, Kerberos? And the answer would be C. OpenID Connect is built on top of OAuth2, but it does add, and it does add an ID token for accessing provided by OAuth2. So keep that in mind that they, it sits on top of OAuth2. Then the ID token contains a set of claims about the user's identity, such as their name, their email address, and so on. So keep that in mind. So again, OpenID is built on top of OAuth2, and it adds an ID token to the access token. You have lots of tokens, so it can get a little bit confusing. Which or what type of token is used by an application in OAuth2 to make API requests on behalf of the user? Okay, so now we're dealing with OAuth2 and we're making API requests. So application programming interfaces. A is access token, B refresh token, C ID token, or D SAML token. Okay, so we know SAML token, it's not a token, right? So we, they would throw that one out. And then when you're dealing with an ID token, it's that doesn't really make much sense. So what the question coming down to is what type of token is used by the application in an OAuth 2 to make an API request on behalf of the user? And the or the the answer is A, access token, right? So the access token is used by the application in OAuth 2 to make API requests on behalf of the user. Question six, single sign-on. Okay, so single sign-on eliminates the need, or SSO, eliminates the need for multiple logins by allowing users to A, share their passwords, B, use one set of credentials to access multiple applications, C, bypass the login process entirely, or D, generate temporary passwords. Okay, so the question six, single sign-on eliminates the need for multiple logins by allowing users to a, share passwords, that's not right. Use one set of credentials to access multiple applications. Hmm. Bypass the login process entirely, no. And then D, generate temporary passwords. That's not what it's designed to do. So SSO is to use one set of credentials to access multiple applications. So again, single sign-on, right? So you don't have multiple sign-ons. This is basically to allow users to use one set of credentials, a username and password to access multiple applications. You'll see this with Facebook and and Gmail and all these various other things that are out there. They will use one comment or one username and password to allow you the access that you want. Question seven, which of the following is not a characteristic of multi-factor authentication or MFA? A, it requires one or more methods of authentication. B, it integrates a single layer defense. C, it uses independent categories of credentials. Or D, it uses to it is used to verify the user's identity for login transactions. So, which of the following is not a characteristic of multi-factor authentication? A, it requires more than one method of authentication. B, it creates a single-layer defense. C, it uses independent categories of cre credentials. Or D, it is used to verify the user's identity for login transactions. The answer is B, it creates a single layer defense, right? So MFA creates a layer defense, not a single layer defense. And so that's basically what they're talking about what is not a characteristic, right? So it is, it's a multi-layer, multi-level of defense. And what it does is it requires multiple levels of authentication, which allows it much more difficult for an unauthorized person to gain access. Again, focus on this, which is not a characteristic of multi-factor.
Question eight, what type of authentication relies on unique biological characteristics of an individual? A, single factor authentication. B, multi-factor authentication. C, biometric authentication. Or D, token-based authentication. Again, what authentication relies on the biological characteristics of an individual? A, single authentication. B, multi-factor authentication. C, biometric authentication. Or D, token-based authentication. And the answer is C, biometrics, right? Biometrics rely on unique biological characteristics of a person, such as fingerprints, scans, or facial recognition. Key factors around that. Okay, so these are, these are I'm on question eight. If you guys like these questions, you can also go to CISSPCyberTraining.com and you can check out all these questions available to you. The great part about CISSP Cyber training is the fact that these questions I go over, there's also video that goes with them so that if you are one that listens or one that likes to watch, this is the greatest place to go because you'll have actually all these CISSP questions in video format as well as in audio format. Okay, so question nine, which of the following is not a type of biometric authentication? A, iris scans, B, passwords, C, facial recognition, or D, fingerprint scans? Okay, so just the last question we talked about, what is biometric? The question here is, which is not a type of biometric? And that would be answer B, passwords, right? Passwords are not biometric. They're something you know, but they're not something that you are. Okay, question 10. When is an identity provider sends an assertion to a service provider in SAML, which of the following information does not contain, does it not contain? Again, let me re-go that question again. When an identity provider sends an assertion okay, to a service provider in SAML, which of the following information does not, does it not contain? I can't get that right even the second time around. A, user's email. B, user's password. C, user's username, or D, user's authentication status. Okay, so which does it not, 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 not contain? User's email, their password, their username, or their authentication status. So if you go through those, you can pretty much narrow out. We do never want to share passwords, right? Even any, any sort of authentication. So the answer would be B, right? SAML assertions do not include the user's password, okay? They typically contain information such as username, email, and authentication status, but not sensitive data such as passwords. Question 11. In the context of OpenID Connect, what are the claims? A, tokens that are provided by authentic authorization server, B, the user's attributes contained in the ID token, C, a list of APIs that an application can access, or D, the user's password and username. Okay, in the context of OpenID Connect, what are claims? A, tokens that provide the authorization server, B, user attributes contained in ID token, C, a list of APIs that application can access, or D, the username's password and username. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, password and username. And the answer is B, user attributes contained in the ID token. Okay, the OpenID Connect claims are user attributes contained in the ID token. These can include information about the user identity, such as name, email address, and more. Question 12, what are the three types of credentials used in multi-factor authentication? A, something you know, something you have, or something you need. B, something you know, something you have, and something you are. C, something you are, something you need, and something you provide. Or D, something you know, something you can provide, and something you need. Okay, so if we go through this, this is one of the key factors rowing around multi-factor is it is something you know, 
okay, i.e. password, something you have could be a, um, oh, like a token of some kind, you know, the, the old RSA type tokens, or maybe um, your phone has a multi-factor authentication on it, or something you are, i.e. biometrics or fingerprint scans. So there's those three types that come with that. So something you know is a password, something you have is a physical token, or something you are is a biometric attribute. Question 13, which of the following is not a use case for OAuth 2? A, allowing users multiple applications with a single set of credentials. B, or B an application to access user data and other applications. C, enabling third-party applications to use services like Google Maps or Twitter. Or D, providing one application in the ability to access the data of another application on the user's behalf. So, which of the following is not a use case of OAuth 2? And the answer is A, allowing a user to log in to multiple applications with a single set of credentials. Okay, OAuth 2 is not used for allowing users to do that. That is what we call a use case for single sign-on or SSO or protocols such as SAML and OpenID Connect. We talked about where OAuth 2 sits just previously. What is the information, what information does ID token in OpenID contain? Okay, A, a set of user attributes known as claims, B, the user login credentials, C, the user's biometric data, or D, the encryption key for the user's data. So we know this right away, just going into it, those three, the user's login, biometrics, and their encryption key would not be something you'd want to have as an ID, in your ID token with OpenID Connect. So I would throw those out immediately. So that's basically a set of user attributes known as claims, okay? So an ID token in OpenID Connect contains a set of user attributes known as claims. These can include information, information such as username, email address, and so much more, right? We wouldn't want to put anything that's sensitive such as passwords or biometric data or anything like that inside a OpenID Connect token. Last question, which of the following best describes a relationship between OpenID Connect and OAuth 2? Okay, the answer question, or I should say one of the answers. OpenID Connect and OAuth 2 are completely separate protocols with different purposes. OpenID Connect is an extension of OAuth 2 and adds additional functionality. OpenID Connect is an older version of OAuth 2. And OAuth 2 is a subset of the functionality provided by OpenID Connect. Well, we talked about this. What does OpenID Connect do? It sits on top of OAuth 2. So it is an extension and it adds additional functionality. That's the whole, again, so OpenID Connect is an extension. We talked about that where it does uh, specifically around user authentication, but OpenAuth or OAuth 2 provides authorization capabilities and OpenID Connect extends it to also provide authentication primarily through the use of an ID token. Okay, so that's again, OpenID, it gives you an ID token and it sits on top of OAuth 2. All right, thank you very much. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. I hope you enjoy the CISSP Cyber Training questions. Also, go to CISSP Cyber Training. Um, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can also go to freeCISSPQuestions.com and you can be added to a list that will get you 30, I mean, 30 questions every single month over the CISSP. And you can get those for free just for joining my email list. And you'll get other stuff as well, right? We have security news and so forth. But Go ahead, check it out, freeCISSPquestions.com or go to CISSP Cyber Training and sign up today. All right, have a great day and we'll catch you on the flip side. See ya. Thanks so much for listening today as it was my pleasure to prep you for the CISSP exam. 
But are you interested in some free CISSP exam questions? Head on over to CISSPQuestions.com and sign up for, to join my email list and you will gain access to 30 free CISSP questions each and every month. That's a total of 360 questions just for signing up with CISSP Cyber Training. You will also gain access to other free resources, so just head on over to freeCISSPQuestions.com or CISSPCybertraining.com and sign up today. All right, have a wonderful day, and we'll catch you on the flip side. See you.